What's going on guys? My name is Elden Hero and welcome to a bonus episode of the Midnight Hour, I guess, if you could even call it an episode. Um, what you're about to hear is pretty much the leftover, the remains of what was to be the best episode of the podcast that you've ever heard. It was uh, myself and a guest who needs no introduction. But we did a three and a half hour long episode where we constructed the brain and then deconstructed the brain. And it was incredibly analytical, in-depth, and dealt with a whole range of topics that I know you would have really, really loved to hear us talk about. Uh, sadly, the file became corrupt and only an hour of the audio exists and I fear that without the context it's you know the whole point of it is completely lost but i said i would upload it anyway because um i don't really believe in throwing stuff away none of what we talk about actually constitutes medical advice and like i said i really fear that the context of these topics are completely gone now because of the way that the episode actually went i mean we spoke about um just the brain how amazing it is everything about it in terms of how um what's the word I'm looking for here, just efficient it is and how everything that makes it what it is has to run smoothly and everything about just how marvelous the brain is, like how much you actually marvel at how amazing it is. And then we spoke about ways in which it can go wrong, like different uh, psychotic and non-psychotic disorders that people can have, um, examples of those in real life and the different sort of um demographics through which those illnesses tend to be affected and we had like something to say about pretty much every disorder that we mentioned and it was just so interesting and i cannot express to you how disappointed i am that the whole thing is lost and we can't do it again it was really a, a one-shot type thing so because of that i'm not sure if there's going to be an episode 73 um on friday and i'm sorry about that i might dig something out of the archives and put it up on soundcloud maybe i'm not too sure what i'm gonna do but um it's it's weird you know because like last night that whole episode thing happened the file became corrupt and then i wasn't able to upload it then my football manager save which is a 11 season long save with all the best regens um, that became corrupt and I can't play that anymore. And on Friday night, I got so fucking pissed that I can't remember any of it. So losing things that are important to me has actually been a staple of this weekend just gone. And I'm quite disappointed at that. But if you guys want to uh, make me feel better, you could leave a like on SoundCloud or leave a repost or leave a comment or go on iTunes or any of the other platforms that this podcast is on. It's, it's on my RSS feed, so you can catch it on Podbean or any, like podcast listening app on android or uh, apple i believe I, i'm not 100 percent sure on that I, I don't really know how these things work but the episode um the song that opens the episode is living is a problem because everything dies by biffy clyro because that's sort of relevant to one of the things that we talk about but also i'll be seeing biffy clyro on saturday night and i'm not going to do an outro on this episode but the episode will end with a song called Jesus Christ by Brand New, who are supporting Biffy Clyro, and again, the song's actually relevant. So what you're about to hear is we spoke about all of different illnesses, and then we had just moved on to the treatments for those illnesses, and we had just spoken about counselling um, and cognitive behavioural therapy, and I had a lot to say about the bastardization of the way counseling is portrayed in cinema and TV and how like wrong it is in comparison to real life. 
Um, also, uh, yeah, I, the topics coming up are like suicide, euthanasia, religion, and some other stuff. And I just feel like without the context of what we'd spoken about up to that point, that it might not make a whole lot of sense. And I think there'll be references and inside jokes that were crafted throughout the episode that will not really land properly uh, when you listen to this. But, you know, I'm not one to waste things. There's no point in complaining about it. Might as well get on with it and hope you guys enjoy it. If you have any questions or whatever, you can ask me and I will answer them. And uh, yeah, that's that. So um, if you want to discuss the episode further, go to reddit.com slash or slash midnight hour i think that's the best place i'm very very active on there and i respond to any questions and comments and things like that so without further ado let's get into the episode technically not an episode but let's start come on baby do you think it's good to feel like i'm lying here swimming in memories i fear god because everything dies made got a gun and a Universe can stop me. So, the pharmacological interventions for psychiatric illnesses shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, considering what we said about the fact that the brain is composed of tons of chemicals, and it's sort of a disorder of these chemicals that basically drive the brain into an imbalance and cause a lot of these psychiatric illnesses. So, pharmacological therapy is quite good at, say, for instance, pulling someone from the brink of psychosis for stabilizing a mood for reducing someone's suicidal ideation and that sort of thing. So the mainstay of treatment is often pharmacological, especially if talking therapies, psychotherapies aren't really an option, if the patient isn't able to engage in them, or if they're just not really viable for that patient at that time. Yeah. So um, like an example of that is just uh, taking antidepressants and stuff like that? Yeah, I guess. Um, So it could be that. It could also be, say, have you ever heard of the drug lithium? Yes. Yeah, lithium is like a fantastically effective drug that kind of does something that not many other drugs can do, which is kind of strange considering like it's basically a metal. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I definitely recommend to your readers to, or your listeners, sorry, to look up the origin of that as a drug it's very very interesting how they discovered its sort of mood stabilizing effect but it works brilliantly and it especially is good for manic episodes which we've talked a lot about not necessarily in the treatment of mania but it's much more effective in preventing them so by stabilizing patients to not develop manic episodes 
it's also named after a Nirvana song, which is yeah, really that's cool. right. Actually, <laughs> I think the founder was a big Nirvana fan. Yeah, though, that's yeah. right. And his yeah. name was Kurt Cobain. <laughs> I, I thought it was mad though that Kurt Cobain went on to sing like those Nickelback songs. Yeah. That yeah. was the weirdest turning point in history, I think. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe he faked his own death just to join Nickelback. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's the only way you could... Like, if you think about it this way, um, would you rather be dead or in Nickelback? The answer is obviously dead. So <laughs> that was the only option he had. He did both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's how and, he was able to do the other was that he killed himself. And did you know that Teen Spirit was actually a deodorant? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. and this, that that shows the absolute fallacy, or like the, just the farce of Kurt Cobain's rebellious nature. Like he used he used um, some deodorant that smelled like it. And someone was like, oh, Kurt Cobain smells like Teen Spirit. And he was like, oh, that's so rebellious, man. <laughs> I guess it was insightful to interpret it that way. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but that song is such a blatant, I won't say ripoff, but the inspirations behind that song are so obvious and stuff. It just seems almost lazy given his actual... Do you think, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like the Pixies covering Boston. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's very obvious what... I don't know. There, there's like a four or five songs you can listen to that all sound in some way like Smell Like Teen Spirit and those are the ones he lifted it from. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I am a huge Oasis fan and they have been known to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah lift the odd piece of music but like i i don't know um it, it, yeah it's very obvious where he was borrowing his sounds from i think yeah and i, I think he was even averse to releasing it as well because he'd be worried about the conclusions people would draw about its similarities to the pixies actually i remember reading that yeah 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 but um oh well i think i think if you listen to the outro of debaser off doolittle it sounds very like the intro to Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, exactly, it does. And then there's a Boston song that has the exact same sort of... Uh, that's the sort of like high-key chorus that it has. Like the, I don't know what, I don't know a lot about Boston, yeah, but yeah. they have a song that does sound an awful lot like it. Okay, but, yeah, um, yeah. Doolittle is a great album. Such a good album. And when I grow up, I want to be a debaser. Um, <laughs> so shall we move on to the next, on to the next one? Um, the next type of treatment. Yeah, I think the next one's interesting because I think it's often portrayed in a much more negative fashion in the media and in pop culture than it actually needs to be. I suppose there was a time when it was as bad as people made out, but that time has passed, and it's actually a very safe, a very effective, and a very non-invasive treatment, and that is electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, which actually works surprisingly well and it's not nearly as bad as the likes of movies One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest would depict. Or Requiem for a Dream. You ever seen that? No, I've never seen that. Oh, you should check it out. It is brutal. It's one of the only movies that where I watch it, I become convinced that killing myself is the only possible option that I have. <laughs> it's, Interesting. It's so brutal. Um, but yeah, well, absolutely great movie. Um, but yeah, there's uh, instances of ECT in that, and it is definitely portrayed in a very negative way. Yeah. Um, but so basically, we, we we don't know, or they don't know, I guess, how ECT works. Essentially, like 
it's basically passing a current, an electrical current, through a particular part of the skull. But basically, once it gets into the brain, it kind of transfers everywhere. Like it's very hard to keep an electrical current just going in one place when the insulation or whatever doesn't uh, mean that it has to stay there. Mm-hmm. So it, it basically initiates a seizure throughout the brain. And this has been shown to drastically improve mood with very few side effects. They also give a muscle relaxant so that your body doesn't clamp up, I think, or that you don't hurt yourself. So your body's relaxed. You're under a general anesthetic as well. So you're not really aware of what's going on at all. And it's hugely effective. The only main side effect of it is that it has been shown to be associated with memory loss. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that is kind of intuitive if you know a little bit about the hippocampus. So the way the hippocampus lays down memories is through a process called long-term potentiation. And so what this means is after you learn something, your hippocampus basically just keeps firing it over and over and over in a circuit continuously to try and lay down the neuronal network that kind of underlines that memory. So if you think about an electrical current traveling through that, it would kind of knock the electrical current, the endogenous electrical current of the hippocampus out of kilter so it kind oh, of yeah. undermines the physiology of memory formation that's just a hypothesis i don't think that's been proven yeah i'd be very uncomfortable with that i hate things that fuck with my memory um yeah, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's one of the only ways that i remind myself that i am myself or that i am conscious yeah, or that yeah. my consciousness is mine is you know the thing that's all yeah, you are yeah. is a collection of memories so it's really yeah, important yeah. to keep those yeah true um, yeah although i after a night of heavy drinking, like yeah, the, the damage that does to my memory is oh, I know. shocking. Ha, yeah. That's a pun. Shocking. Not quite <laughs> as shocking as electroconvulsive therapy, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting you say that because I was always of the idea that ECT is one of the worst things you could possibly do to a person and that yeah, it is essentially yeah. a form of torture. So that's, that's the way it's portrayed. And it's also the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Wow. Um, like the, the people who have it have huge improvements in their depressive symptoms. They're able to go on and after, say, a course, maybe over about eight to ten sessions, like they might never need it again. They might never suffer from depression again and with very minimal side effects as well. So it, it's very effective when it works. And you can kind of predict the types of patients it'll work on. So someone who's had like a long standing depression for decades and decades, it probably won't be able to erase everything that that's done to the person yeah but someone who's in a really really deep depression that's not responding to treatment that's maybe only a few months in duration it might be just what that person needs to get them back on their feet and and from which they may never look back it's so interesting that depression like one of the many causes of depression is essentially just that your brain becomes imbalanced like there's a chemical yeah, imbalance yeah. and it, it's so like to all of the people who are like, oh, just lighten up. Just, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's it's literally your brain, like not allowing you to actually experience happiness. Like exactly, and 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 there's a name for that, and it's anhedonia. Oh wow! So anhedonia, like hedonic or hedonism, is the preponderance to engage in behaviors that are putatively kind of say gluttonous like sex food all the enjoyable things yeah but anhedonia which is one of the three main core symptoms of depression is the inability to experience pleasure from pleasurable activities oh wow yeah yeah that's horrible yeah yeah if those people just lightened up then yeah you see and that's the thing like that that goes in hand with the stigma that we've alluded to as well like technically if they could do that like 
they wouldn't be feeling that way in the first place. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. There's um, yeah. there's a quote in the movie. Have you ever seen the movie Closer with um, Julia Roberts and Natalie Portman? No, I don't think so. Uh, no. Jude Law and who's that guy who? Oh Jesus, he's in Children of Men. What's that actor's name? Hmm, not Clive sure. Owen. Um, I think it's Clive Owen. Um, but there. Anyway, there's a quote in there somewhere where a guy says, everyone wants to be happy, and another guy responds with, depressives don't. They don't want to be happy. They just want to look around at everything and use it as confirmation for the fact that they're depressed or something Mm. to that effect. Mm. And it's like, if you're ever talking to a person with depression and trying to help them with it, that can seem so true. Like, like that they don't even want to be happy. And, like, you can think that, but it's like, they can't. They physically can't. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, no, it can yeah. be grossly debilitating yeah. and also so hard to put yourself in the mindset of them. And even on a person to person basis. So if you just look back at the own times your life was hard, it's so hard to remember the painful things in a representative way. Like it, we, we forget pain so quickly yeah, that it's no wonder we fail to empathize with people and we can't even properly recall our own pain. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. But um, yeah, it's... We should move on to the next one, I think. I think so. Um, so the last one, the last resort, uh, which was used a lot in the likes of the 50s and 60s, is lobotomy. This is one of those things that actually makes me feel uncomfortable to think yeah. about. There's, oh my God. So, you know, in The Simpsons, there's a Treehouse of Horror episode where... I saw that one, yeah. Which one were you thinking of? The one where Mo shows Homer the part yes! of the game. Yes! Oh my yeah. God. I, yeah. I, I can't explain to you... It's How? where Ned Flanders is the supreme Ned Flan- Yeah, yeah. H- Homer uh, jams a fork in the toaster or something, and it turns into yeah. a time traveling device, also yeah, known as a yeah. time machine. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that the that image of Mo with the piece of the brain, and he's so yeah. not himself anymore. Like that made me feel physically ill for years. It gave me that exact thing we were talking about earlier: the lightheadedness and the. Oh man! Yeah. Well, luckily, that was actually what you saw in that episode is actually impossible to happen. They don't go and get the brain through the far; they actually get it through the eye sockets. Oh, perfect! <laughs> yeah, you should feel a lot better now. I absolutely <laughs> do. So basically, if if I could just explain the rationale behind it, so basically, what lobotomies aim to do is to remove a part of the prefrontal cortex that we described earlier. So the part of the brain that basically deals with executive functioning and personality and things like that. And by removing it, you in effect zombify the patient uh, and you drastically reduce their behavior level. So if they were aggressive or violent beforehand, they sure as hell won't be like that now. They'll be in a much more pacified state, but you will have all that will have come at a cost and that cost will be you've you've taken away from that person a huge portion of their personality and, and their true self you've intellectually neutered a person yeah and per and like personally neutered them it's not so much that they're just a bit less intelligent they're much less human like the prefrontal cortex is kind of what really makes us human it's our ability to kind of do things on a level that separates us from other mammals that's not necessarily intellect yeah it's it's horrible yeah. and actually i don't know if you knew but john f kennedy's sister was lobotomized i think i might have known that <laughs> she had a she had, yeah she had a, what a stupid problem. thing for me to say i think i might have known that <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> he had a personality problem in the 60s, I think, or 50s. And one of the things that was going on at that time to cater for that was this guy who used to drive around in the lobotomy mobile, uh, lobotomy mobile, and he would like come over and be like, oh, I can fix her personality problem. And he'd basically have a tiny little ice pick and he'd put it in through the eye and work his way up to the brain and just remove a bit of the prefrontal cortex and he'd be like, now they're cured. Get the fuck out of here. Yep. Uh, uh. Crazy. And one time he was dealing with a patient and the tip of the little device he was sticking in broke off and that was left in the person's head. So that's all we yeah. have time for. Ugh. Thanks yeah, for listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just given you a psychologically induced lobotomy. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's lobotomy. Uh, it's like hugely barbaric. It should never have happened, and it's it's terrible to think that it was ever done. And it's a great way to stay in shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Oh man, all the grimacing I just did. Oh hey. god, that's your mirror neurons firing. Ah, well that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that they're there. Um, Me too. And, and one thing I've learned is that I have so many of them that I could even give some away. <laughs> yeah, one yeah. trillion synapses. Like, does anyone yeah. need any? Because I have too many. I'm afraid it was, wasn't that a hundred trillion? A hundred trillion, yep. That's what I meant. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to read it. You have a trillion left after the lobotomy. Yeah, damn right. Oh, yeah. God. That is yeah, such a... Fucked up. Yeah, that's horrible. Oh, man. Yeah. We but we you... suck so bad as a civilization. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we do and we don't. Yeah. But yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways, like, we're the worst. In a lot of ways, yeah. 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 But, we can uh... be very malicious, very sadistic. But... And it's terrible to say this in the context that I'm about to say it, but history shows that that is at times necessary for the advancement of the species. Um, like, the... I I actually... I don't really have the stomach to say what I was about to say, but you know, a lot of the uh, experiments done by certain dictators in World War Two were actually used mm. as, you know, to... But, yeah, that's not me legitimizing the, the Japanese yeah, or the yeah. Nazis, but... Um, or the Russians. Yeah, or the Russians. Even like even going back to the Mongols, uh, like yeah, yeah. Um, this is how how we. I have learned. to say, I, I I think the worst ones I've heard of were in China and Japan. Yeah, yeah, Japan particularly. The there's yeah. the thing, uh, what experiment something or project. like Area eighteen or yeah, something like that. that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of uh, uh, I was trying to think of like an album name of a band that I hate and <laughs> yeah Silver Side Up I think it was called that's, that's Nickelback's second album they just played it on repeat watched yeah, people yeah. go mad yeah <laughs> um, so shall we move on to the next area yeah cool so um, yeah go ahead and introduce this bad boy this this big one. Okay, so yeah, I guess that kind of leads us, on, leads us on to, so we discussed the likes of mental health disorders, depression, and so an often behavioral outcome of that, unfortunately, is suicide. Yeah. Uh, suicide is currently the biggest killer of men under 50. There's many th theories as to why that is. Um, and just kind of to give a broader introduction into the problem, I thought I could quote a famous existentialist philosopher by the name of Albert Camus. He said that, there is only one really serious philosophical question, and that is suicide. 
So it, it, it's obviously a very interesting thing, and it's a very counterintuitive thing. Why would something that is designed to live, pass on its DNA, ever feel that it's right or necessary to end its life or kill itself? Yeah. And it also calls into question about whether are people who are suicidal always depressed? Is, is it always a mental health problem? Or can it be a rational decision as well? And as such, should suicide be legal? Currently, suicide is illegal in this country, I think. It is, and it used to be punishable by hanging. Did you know that? Really? Yeah, up until the year 1964, suicide oh. in this country was punishable by hanging. Wow, that's... And yeah, that, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I try to think of it this way. Um, Ireland has always been a really, really strongly Catholic country and it is absolutely against the religion to actually commit suicide like it's a sin. So I think yeah. it's punishment for the sin, not punishment for the crime. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I, I think it's them saying, okay, uh, you've, you've committed one of the worst sins you possibly could and your punishment is death, but at least this way you're not going to be taking your own life so you still have a chance of making it to the afterlife. Okay. Uh, that's only a theory, but to me that makes a lot more sense than oh, you tried to kill yourself. We're going to kill you. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Um, so, uh, did you mean attempted suicide or suicide? Well, yeah, I meant suicide. Um, okay, but I, yeah, I suppose yeah. the law itself would have to naturally encompass attempted suicide, right? Because, like, how? Well, well, have you attempt? Like, can you be guilty if you just attempt it without doing it? Yeah, I, like I if, don't if, know. If, if I walk into the bank before I rob it. Yeah, well, it, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not really yeah. that level, though, is it? It's you're pointing the gun, but no money has been passed yet. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know. Yeah. I just know that that's the law, and it's a law, look at how ridiculous this is thing. But yeah. when I try... Um, rationalize it in my head that's the only thing I can come up with because usually in any religion suicide is is uh, you know you you don't do that it's you, yeah. you won't get to heaven or whatever and as you kind of like the gender difference in these things there's an interesting gender difference in suicide and that's that more women attempt suicide yeah. but more men complete suicide yeah that's right um, women tend to use methods such as uh, slitting their wrists or overdosing um, yeah yeah so I, I don't know I, I've read a few different interpretations and to be honest they all sound completely farcical like I don't yeah they all sound like oh well women are more considerate like shut the fuck up like it's, yeah um, generally women tend to go for the cry for help I suppose but I don't know it's yeah, yeah it's See, the main result of owning a gun is suicide, right? Like, we spoke about that before. If you yeah, own a suicide, gun, you yeah. are more likely to kill yourself. Like, the biggest risk factor for suicide is owning a gun. Exactly. So, yeah. men own guns and women tend to not own guns. Like, I don't know if that's a thing, maybe. Um, like, just maybe that men just have access to... Like, men have but, access to, to methods of doing it and the knowledge of how to use them? I don't know. I, I don't know. Other than that, though, if you take guns out of the equation, like, things like car crashes, uh, voluntary car crashes and stuff like that, men are much more likely to commit. Basically, the way I break it down is violent acts versus non-violent acts. Men are much more likely to take their lives in violent ways. Mm. Women in non-violent ways, such as, like, just fall asleep with tablets, take tablets in the bath, slip down and drown. Um, 
I, I think that's kind of and like hanging men are much more likely to, to hang themselves kill themselves by gun kill themselves by crashing whereas women it's sort of more I want to fall asleep and just die I, it does feel intuitive based on what I know about society that women are just naturally less violent than men I don't believe yeah. that's actually true but maybe they've been conditioned or something to just... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, it's interesting, but it's also very grim and dark. Yeah, um, yeah. But the... So this quote, um, the only the only really serious philosophical question, and that is suicide, what does he mean by that? Well, that's it. I think like, as an existentialist philosopher, he was very concerned about like kind of not only mankind's place in the universe, but each individual's place in the universe and, and how we come to accept that and mm. to explore that and to sort of demand our place, even to ourselves and convince ourselves that we're worth a place in the universe. So I guess what he's saying is, if you are able to view yourself as worthy of life, then that is the ultimate question and whether to kill yourself and not put up with life that might be hard, harrowing and very difficult to deal with that like if you can just start with that like that's your archimedean point that you will begin from and from that everything else will flow but if you can't make it past that then you're not at a sufficiently suitable level to think about anything else yeah yeah it's it yeah it's one of the things we always uh say goes hand in hand with depression but i wonder if there's any like you know person who sort of for reasons that may be perceived as rational, just kill exactly, himself. and exactly, and and I personally think that there is a good reason to think that. Like for instance, if say for instance you're 80 years old, you were married to your wife for 60 years, who's your best friend, you never had any kids, you've nothing really else to live for, and every day is a struggle. You're not happy, etc., etc. Why not just slowly slip away in a controlled, comfortable environment and just just like we're all going to die anyway. So why not decide to do it now as opposed to later? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's actually, um, it's such a dark thing to... It is. Yeah. It's a taboo as well. So it's, it's a huge taboo to talk about suicide in any way other than, oh, it's dreadful. But I think time has come for us to think about death in as much a positive way as we think about life. Like, we're all going to die. It, it's something that we all have in common. And I think that we need to accept it for what it is it's a part of life you know what i mean yeah yeah it, there's I, a great quote from ray kurzweil who says death gives meaning and value to time and without time or without that there would be too much of it and the exactly. human psyche would you know yeah totally. death gives disarray. meaning and value to time yeah oh, that's completely it yeah. um he says death gives meaning to our lives and we make extraordinary efforts to uh, like um to avoid it or even to delay it and stuff like that yeah um, which is true because it seems so i mean it's the most natural thing a person can do i suppose is survive like that's how we got here yeah, um, yeah. so it makes sense to keep that going for as long as possible um i don't exactly. know like there are so many cases like i'm totally in favor of euthanasia like assisted suicide or mm, whatever mm. um but there's a strange question with euthanasia where See how you said that you were talking about the guy who, an 80-year-old man who, for rational reasons, does it. 
But mm. the fact that every day is a struggle and he's going to die anyway, like, someone would say that those are symptoms of depression and that those can be cured, you know? So should mm. he not attempt to find something else? Like, it, you know, it might not all be over. There might be something, like, even at the age of 80, there might be something else, some kind of stimuli that makes him, you know... True. But who are we to say yeah. that his experience of himself isn't as valuable as ours. Yeah. Yeah, Like, true. I totally get what you mean. He may be depressed, but sometimes he may not be. He might be like, yeah, you know what? I do enjoy life, like, from time to time, but just the badness outweighs the good. Yeah, that's sort like, of a... Yeah. That's like a level, that's like a threshold we find ourselves at Yeah. when we go through depression, though. Like, that... That train of thought seems to be along the line of at least some form of depressive, you know, sensation yeah. rather than... I don't know. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's something that I, I don't really give a whole lot of thought to because of that. Um, like, it's... Yeah, it's really hard to... Yeah, and like... I know in the likes of the Netherlands and Belgium, they've made, in recent years, euthanasia a lot easier to come by. And I know Switzerland has had it like that as well. And there's actually cases now of, like, young teenagers uh, receiving euthanasia. Yeah. And I, I know they have a very strict process in which to run pr prospective patients through in order to, uh, like, acquire, like, e euthanasia help. But, like, I, th I don't know, less than 18 kind of makes me feel a bit funny when you hear about those people, you know what I mean, having euthanasia. That is could it, be my own ignorance about their circumstances, though. Is, is it because you think that they are not um, intellectually in a position to... Yeah, but I guess, like, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of a bias being from this country, but, like, we tell people, oh, yeah, you're not old enough to drive, you're not old to be independent enough to drink or smoke, but if you want to take your own life, well, you're definitely intellectually independent to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but there's plenty of things, like, in America, like, yeah, you can drink, you can smoke, you can drive, you can get fucked on film by five guys, but you can't drink any alcohol. I think I said drink in the, in the things that you can yeah, do there, yeah. but I, I meant to not say that. But yeah, you, like you, yeah, you can't drink alcohol like till you're 21, which is absolutely. But I crazy. think this person was 14. Yeah. In America, the legal age in a lot of states, I don't think, is that low. Yeah, like 14 just seems so young to me. But like, it could be my own ignorance, and I could be discounting their suffering just because. I can't imagine it adequately. I think that's what it is, though. I think with people who are that age, it generally is. Like, in any sort of publicized case that I've read, it, it always has seemed to me to be like, yeah, fair enough, what else are you going to do? Like, it, if that's what they want and their family agrees and stuff, then yeah, why would you not, you know, just, just yeah, because of their yeah. age? Like, I mean, <laughs> one of the realest things you can experience is pain and it doesn't discriminate based on your age so yeah no that's so true yeah but i guess it's just why not wait and because like their brains haven't fully developed right like that's one of the main things is that as kids I, and that's why we have like uh, legal ages for sex and that because they might not be in the right frame of mind or might be capable of possessing the ability to give informed fully informed consent they mightn't fully know what they're what they're uh, succumbing to yeah 
But like if they're yeah. Like, one of the things that will help a person grow um, and develop really quickly, though, is suffering like that. Like, because you have to look at the world in a different way. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that based on some sort of gut feeling or whatever, but I feel like people who experience personal trauma do have a more emotionally mature outlook on the world than those who don't uh, from a younger age. I don't know if that's right or not. Um, yeah, I'm sure it but, depends on their levels of education and and the type of like class that they come from. But yeah. I feel like any case I've read where it is a younger person agreeing to be euthanized, um, it seems like they're very aware, like overtly aware. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but as well, you might say that okay, they maybe they're not if they seem so aware and so into it maybe it's actually lost on them the gravity of their decision right that's like surely the, the most mature response would be like i know I, like a part of me doesn't want this but a part of me does and the part of me that does kind of thinks that it would be you know what i mean maybe that's like the response that you should get yeah. as opposed to yeah i just wanted things will be better i'm going to heaven whatever you know that rhymed did it yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst poem I've ever heard. I <laughs> <laughs> can't be the worst. You listen to Nickelback. Whoa! <laughs> I was very young. But, um... I remember the first poem I wrote was actually in primary school. It was absolutely terrible. It was like based on the book in the Old Testament, Genesis, and we had to basically turn that into a poem. My God, it was dreadful. Wow. The first yeah. poem I ever wrote was about the band Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a band, though. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. What a good album. Uh, I'm not a fan. Really, yeah? Yeah, and one of my friends is a huge Phil Collins fan. Oh, no, I don't like Phil Collins, but I like... Yeah, See, yeah. Th th that was the change. Phil Collins was the drummer, but he wanted to be more of the songwriter, and I think that's what started the split. The songwriter before him was another guy, and that's the guy who I like. Yeah, it was... Um, it was I can't think of his name. Yeah, and, uh, Peter Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was another guy, Ray Wilson or something like that, uh, who went yeah. on to form a band called Stiltskin, who had a really good song called Inside and another really good song called Lemon Yellow Outside. Sun. Outside. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> he, he mastered all of the types of sides that there are. It was yeah, yeah. Unprecedented songwriting skills. <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah um, I... Never made it as a blind man, <laughs> whatever, whatever that fucking song. Never made yeah. it as a couldn't cut it as a poor man's ceiling. Yeah, tired of living like a that. tired of living like a blind man. I'm sick of sight without a sense of feeling. <laughs> <sighs> this is how you remind. Yeah, the, I love the drum loop building up to that to the sort of post chorus part where it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's not like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. And the woman in that video had such a fucking weird-looking face. Yeah. But, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I hate her and her <laughs> stupid face. Yeah, yeah. Probably turned that way after listening to Nickelback. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like they had at least one or two actually good songs, though. Um, ah, yeah. like They were talented in their own way, but just not in the way... <laughs> yeah, not in the way that... Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, Nickelback... Yeah. Actually, apparently they got their name from the first time they had a concert. They charged a nickel, but everyone asked for their nickel back. Is that true? 
No. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. But it should stand to reason that I didn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> that, or that I believe that it could have been true, because it sounds accurate. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, We're terrible people to Nickelback. Uh, yeah, but they deserve it though. Like that. Usually, when there's a public consensus like this about a thing, it's 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 misguided. Yeah. Or it, like yeah. like when people are like, "Oh, Limp Bizkit are a terrible band." Like, yeah, okay, I'll grant that. But at the time, they weren't. Like, they yeah. were relevant. They had tapped into something. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. They were doing the right things, and they yeah. were the biggest band in the world at one point. Like, that's an actual fact. Yeah. And I don't. Like, it's fun to look back on that and say that they're terrible and all of that, but, like, you all had their album, so, like, shut the fuck yeah. up. With Nickelback, they are actually deliberately the way they are. Like, Chad Kruger talks about songwriting as some kind of scientific formula. Like, he couldn't give a fuck about anything that he's saying. It, yeah. He, he's yeah. the most false and, like, contrived character you could dream yeah. up. And put in front of a, a pop rock band like that, like he, yeah. he's worse than he's like five John Bon Jovi's basically, <laughs> you know. It, and we already had one too many. Yeah, exactly. But like John Bon Jovi himself was fine up until like 1985 when Slippery When Wet came out, and even then there's a couple of decent songs on that. Like I think Wanted Dead or Alive is a good song, but mm. then they turned into that panty wetting sugar rock. For yeah, moms, yeah, shite. So shite. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I love, love, love how we went from suicide to Nickelback seamlessly. <laughs> seamlessly. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. The fucking honestly, the chemistry in this conversation for for two people to seamlessly go from suicide to Nickelback, like, this is, yeah. like, actual talent on display. Oh, yeah. And I really it hope is. that the people will click that like button as a result of that. <laughs> um, yeah, if they don't, uh, I think bad things will happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. So shall we move on to the yeah, next? Which, yeah. Let's plow troop. No, let's actually take this one seriously, because uh, it's a serious thing. Cool. I, <laughs> I feel like following that up with, uh, like... I don't know. So some like sweatshop workers that are unemployed and or whatever. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. You know, so some sort of PSA that's irrelevant. Like, yeah, let's take yeah. this seriously. Are you affected by bad drying? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Okay. okay, you introduce this one. Okay, so religion and the 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 concept of religion and how it ties into like the brain's ability to perceive things. Does religion legitimize delusional thinking? Which I think is an actual fantastic sort of pinpoint at how to tie religion into this type of thing because I would never have previously thought about it in that light because yeah, I, yeah. I feel like I'm sort of wired to defend it almost because I see people tear it down all the time. Yeah, and yeah. they do it with such smugness and a sense of self-righteousness that I just sort of can't get on board with it. I feel like they must be wrong, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's something that's you ubiquitous almost in certain mental health domains and pathologies and the likes of schizophrenia is a preponderance and a almost fixation on religion, religious symbols, imagery, and the concept of the supernatural as channeled through religious texts. 
Yeah, there's something really... You know, the 12-step programs? Yeah. They yeah. always involve some sort of belief in a higher power. Yes. Which yeah. seems so strange to me, because yeah. it almost feels like they are trying to deconstruct a person and then reconstruct them in the guise of a person with the fear of God in them, rather totally. than actually addressing the issue. Like, the 12-step program is, is a load of bollocks anyway like it's it's been you know debunked as such like it has no real work okay yeah it, yeah. it, it doesn't stand up against literally any other method of dealing with addiction um, yeah but the fact that it introduces religion is interesting to me because it feels like someone sat down and thought well these people need a system of beliefs that will stop them from doing bad things and the best way to do that is god and mm. why you should be afraid of him and stuff yeah and yeah I, I think it also says a lot about religion how the image of god was changed so much to suit the advancement of society like we are slowly yeah. becoming more altruistic and yeah. along with that movement god goes from being this almost like villainous ruler like almost mm. like a fascist dictator to being an actual full like open-minded sort of like yeah like at the end of the new testament i'm pretty sure that the old god comes back and he's like all right look no more fucking around everybody <laughs> has to do this shit like you need to cop on to yourselves have a word with yourselves or else like shit's gonna get real you know yeah yeah and like that was like the last chance after because we're supposed to believe that this guy loves us all, but this is the same guy who sent floods to kill us all. Like Exactly, yeah. I, that, I mean, the concept of God and how he has changed, at least in the eyes of Christianity, is almost preposterous to me. Yeah. And so that is one of the many reasons why I can't get on board with it. But, yeah. like I say, if, if it makes people's lives better, you know, if it stops them from being bad people, if they don't impose those beliefs on other people, then do whatever yeah. you want, you know? Yeah, I agree. But, um, yeah, I think the question itself, though, does it legitimize delusional thinking? Uh, like, I feel like it has to be... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd kind of lean towards yes, but not just because it feels like it would be irrational to believe in a higher power. I don't personally believe that that is irrational at all. I don't think that's even a question of rationality, given how little we know about the universe and how little things that we learn over time change what we know about the universe. I just yeah. I just don't think it's fair to say who are you to say what's rational or irrational? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. in 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 that sense and in, in like a universal sort of sense, you you don't get to say that. But I think the way that religion can make you think completely contradictory or opposing viewpoints and then try and reconcile them, you know, back into the same thing and like I, I, I don't know, it, it, religion itself is very contradictory. You should um, respond with an eye for an eye, but you should also turn your other cheek and stuff. Mm. It's basically like a handbook for people to just pick and choose whatever things they want. And I think, I think it's wildly delusional that people are like, well, what, what, I mean... What's like the sixth commandment or something is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And that's a thing that like pretty much everyone is probably guilty of on some level. Mm. And yet we choose as a society 
or have done in the past. I mean, like, we've chosen to vilify the gays. Like, it says in the Bible, don't be gay, and those people are gay, so we have to chastise them and punish them. And Mm. you spend the entire time being like, well, look, um, yeah, I may have coveted my neighbor's wife or done all of these other things, but, you know, at least I was never gay, and those people are gay, so we have to, Mm -hmm. you know? That's preposterous. Like, it's completely flawed and, like, illogical, like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, I think that... As religion brings to the mainstream what, if it weren't religion, would be laughed out of the room, I think that it opens a doorway that allows people to perhaps express themselves in a way that they either feel or hope will be immune from challenge. For instance, if someone says, oh, yeah, I can broadcast my thoughts, and you're like, "Um, I'm sorry, but that's probably impossible. They're like, yeah, but you believe that a bit of bread you eat on a Sunday gets turned into a human being (laughs) who is the son of God. Who are you to tell me that I can't broadcast? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, completely. So in terms of does religion legitimize delusional thinking, I think without knowing it, it opens up a doorway to an acceptance of supernatural scenarios that are far and above perhaps not even as crazy as religion is like the idea that okay someone can hear my thoughts or read my thoughts isn't that strange maybe they're picking up on body language maybe they're hearing them because of pheromones or subtle cues but the idea that a piece of wafer turns into the literal flesh of a demigod i think that is far more far-fetched and as such legitimizes delusional thinking considering how mainstream it is do they actually believe that though, or is that Catholics not... do? That's transubstantiation. But but is it not a symbolic sort of thing though? No, the Catholic Church is very adamant that it is literally. It's not just so the Protestants were like, "Here, listen, lads, that's clearly ridiculous." Martin Luther, come on now, that is not going to fly. People are not going to buy into that bullshit. So they developed consubstantiation against the substantiation of Jesus' body. But Catholics, especially the Pope, who is their headliner, their ambassador, he is adamant that it is literally the body of Jesus you're eating. Hmm. Yeah, that's problematic. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. In Catholicism it is, yeah. But um, as an Irish Catholic, sure, what do them Protestants know? All they want to do is go around and get divorced. So, you know. That's true. Yeah, get out that's of true. here. Get out of my country. Um, no, for real, though... <laughs> Yeah, that is a that is a huge problem. Um, that is a uh, that is an intellectual problem. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's it's it's, uh, it's a problem that never needed to have come. Like I, I think we both agree that spirituality has its place. Yeah, but spirituality shouldn't necessitate you swallow such strange ideas. Yeah, but I would like, also say that I think the majority of Catholics who actually do all of that stuff, I'm sh- like. I don't think they, I'm sure, like, the hardcore ones do, but I, I would say most people who just go to church because they're sort of hedging their bets, I'm, I'm sure that they do recognize it as just a symbolic thing. Like, to to put it to you this way, if I were, um, <laughs> catholically inclined, <laughs> if I were a Catholic, um, and I were indulging in that, um, ceremony, which is, is sort of weird, any that ritualistic sort of thing, um, even the Pope saying that it is absolutely literal, I would still be like, yeah, but he's saying that because it's symbolic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, would, uh, but then you're basically deluded, doing it. Yeah. Well, no, no, you're not deluded, but well, then you're not engaging in it in a religiously truthful way. Yeah. 
and that's, then you're not being true to your designation as a Catholic. I think that's the greatest problem with these religions is that, like, how many of the core religious people have actually read the fucking the holy book, whatever it is, the Quran, the Bible? Like, there's so many things that you can take from it, like so many ways that you have to behave, and I mean, people don't do that, like. Christians don't behave like how it says in the Bible, even though they may be fully fledged Christians. There's there's too many sort of contradictory ways of behaving in there, you know. Like people absolutely just pick and choose the things that they want and say, "Well, these are the things that I think are going to make me a better person. These are the things I know I can definitely do." Yeah, and you know what I mean. Like that's that is why the whole gay thing is such a was such a witch hunt for religious types is because it's the easiest thing they can do to please God is to not be gay because they're already not gay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's hard. Like I just don't think that there are a significant number of hardcore Christians in the Western world who are fully dedicated to what the Bible says, even but though... But that's the difference, though. I think it's important to recognize that Christianity is the different is different to Christians in the same way that Islam is different to Muslims. Yeah. The religion isn't the people. The religion is the set of ideas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's that's actually like a whole area where I'm completely... Um, under-informed and mm. uneducated on. Because um, I've always just approached religion as a... like, And you know what? It's it's because of atheists on the internet fucking telling me how I'm supposed to think all the time. Like, yeah, I yeah. can't stand it. Like, if, if Trump winning this election is the result of political correctness imploding on itself, then my stance on religion is just as sort of vacuous and... You know, just as yeah. rebellious, despite having no intellectual result, it's just, well, I yeah. don't care about this at all then, because your way is bullshit, and also you're preaching to me in the exact same aggressive way that you hate that religious types do, so, yeah. like, fuck off, like, I just don't care, I, I can't conjure up a, a feeling that's greater than apathy like it's just yeah it's just whatever like god oh, believe what you want i don't care it doesn't yeah yeah doesn't infringe on my life in any way so totally no i, I get what you mean yeah yeah it's it's just one of those things that it feels like every time someone comments on it they're doing it with an agenda and that's just a, a thing i just don't have time for like yeah yeah so it's it's so hard to talk about it in those terms because I like I mean I've been to mass like hundreds of times in my life and I think yeah. it's really weird I think it's a really weird thing that people do like the standing up kneeling sitting down like you shake yeah, hands yeah. with people the shaking hands with people is great because it reaffirms that sort of like just shaking um, hands with someone makes you feel great like you know, yeah except when they're old and sick and you get unwell yeah yeah that <laughs> happens too and that's like 90% of the congregations so. yeah yeah but um yeah, I mean, to the point, I would say, yes, it does legitimize delusional thinking. I would be skeptical as to the scale of delusional thinking yeah, that it yeah. legitimizes, though. Yeah, uh, and um, also, like, there may be no harm to traditional delusional thinking in a religious context. You know, it's cultural, yeah. your parents do it, it, 
it's a benign, as you say, form of delusional thinking and it has meaning to people and it gives them hope and there's a lot of benefits for people for that. Exactly, yeah. Like, uh, there's a lot of ritualistic things that we do in our own lives or maybe just superstitious things that have absolutely yeah. no consequence or, like, no meaning, but we still stick to them quite rigidly yeah, in, yeah. in cases, you know? Like, if I'm betting on a game, like, sometimes I won't watch it because I've got money on it or yeah, whatever, yeah. like just little things we do that are superstitious in nature. I think it's, totally, it's yeah. no harm to hold on to those if they can improve your life in some way or if they're, you know, relevant sure, to you. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, I don't know. Yeah, religion, I, I'd like to read up more on religion or like listen to some podcasts about it, but I just always find the same stances and I'm tired of them. Like, yeah, yeah. I want a more like introspective sort of look. I don't want a deconstruction telling me how stupid I am for even attempting to legitimize religion. I want like an honest sort of, yeah, you know, <laughs> what I would call a rational sort of thing. But I know, I know that's mm. the wrong word to use in that case. I suppose I'm, I, I suppose I'm looking for a polite insight on religion, like yeah, yeah, something that's politely skeptical. But mm. yeah, Sam Harris would be a good place to start. I I really like Sam Harris. Um, and he's really intelligent, but I think it's not even a but. It's just I already know his stance on it, and it, it isn't really that. I, I mean, his voice is very soothing to listen to, so you can't actually imagine him being angry, but his stance is sort of automatically, no, this is bullshit, and that's fine because it's intellectually honest, but it doesn't really appeal to me. It doesn't grab me, you know, because I'm not yeah. quite ready to rule it out. I mean, to... To explain all of this, I'm not religious in any way, Like, but I would call myself agnostic. I'm not open to Catholicism. I, I don't believe in it at all. I don't think it's a real thing. Um, but I don't know what I believe, and mm. I think it's just unknowable, so it's whatever, you know? Yeah. The, um, the Mongols had a really good outlook on religion. Um, okay. When they invaded... Um, like the uh, the Khwarizmian civilization, like the Persians, and even when they invaded the Chinese and stuff, for the people who they left alive, um, for the towns that they conquered and allowed to survive as their own tribe, they would say, yeah, you, you can all keep the religion that you have now. We don't want you to believe in anything. And Gen uh, Genghis Khan's sort of uh, reasoning was... Like, I don't fucking know. Anything could be possible. So we'll leave all of them open and hope that the right one <laughs> will allow us. Yeah. To, which is really cool because, like, they conquered fucking everything. Like, yeah, the amount of real. different religious factions they would have had within the actual Mongol Empire is crazy. Yeah. And it's all because Genghis Khan was open-minded enough, I think, to just be like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. It's, especially with what limited information he would have had about, you know, the, the, the circumstances of the universe and stuff. I think that that's a really yeah. cool outlook to have. And But as like, well as that, though, he was more interested in the economic implications Absolutely, of civilization yeah. and not the metaphysical like that didn't interest him well so, like only up until i mean when he turned like uh 50 um he he sent for this um religious figure from china who was said to be a 300 year old monk um, and Genghis Khan got very, very spiritual um, okay. in the last few years of his life. I mean, I mean, like last ten years. He used to regularly consult with this monk guy. He actually moved him into Mongolia, in, into the steppe where they lived, and like 
um, spent all of his time with him. And you could notice it if you look at the Mongol strategies. I think the reason the Mongolian Empire actually continued after he died, which is kind of unprecedented for <clears throat> for that type of uh, civilization, the reason was because he softened up a little bit and he let people live and he allowed different houses to have different yeah, factions yeah. of power within that empire. And yeah. so it didn't die with him because he softened up and he wasn't all about the brutality anymore. And that's because he opened up to religion and yeah. uh, the different possibilities that are housed within that, you know? Yeah. I know a lot about Genghis Khan. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, great guy. That's not true. He's <laughs> one, literally one of the worst, but still, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Um, do you have more to say about religion? Um, no, I think that's pretty good. Like we alluded to the fact that like during Lent and such as like with monks or whatever, the increase in apparitions during that period is possibly down to the fact people aren't eating and that sort of thing. And, yeah, and, yeah. People, and, and like anthropologists have scrutinized over that and the timeline of their accounts of these things coincide with the likes of like festivals of like, I don't know, hunger and that sort of thing. And you know, so yeah, I, I just think it's it's interesting anyway, and especially does religion legitimize delusional thinking as a question? I think it does, but then again, as we agreed, it doesn't really necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, I'm really happy with that analysis actually, because I think mm. that's the fairest way of looking at it. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. I think if I were more versed in uh, Islam as a religion, if I knew more about it, I. I feel like that question would have a much different answer i feel like mm. uh islam is very kind of extreme and i don't mean that in the extremist sense that you know i'm not saying every muslim yeah, is a terrorist yeah. but the people who it, it seems to me as though muslims take their religion a lot more seriously than christians based yes, on yeah. based on my uh analysis of it anyway or like what i've observed of it so yeah um yeah. does that legitimize delusional thinking i would say yes on probably a bigger scale just because the percentage of muslims who believe it's ex or who believe it's morally acceptable to be gay is like zero percent and i think that's yeah. a problem and i think that that is as a result of delusional thinking so yeah, yeah. but again i don't know enough about it so don't come crying to me about how i'm being islamophobic because i i don't know I, I genuinely don't know yeah um so this has genuinely been the best episode ever and we still have one thing left to uh, yeah to to round it off nicely um sweet so pop culture representations of different um conditions and, and different ways that the brain can go wrong I, it's a really 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 effective device in film when it's done right yeah, like it's so satisfying when everything comes together in the. Um, have you seen the movie Memento? Um, no, but I know the premise. Yeah, it's. Uh, you should watch it. It's so yeah. damn good, and it's one of um, Christopher Nolan's first big movies. Cool, um, cool. It's so so good. Guy Pierce is amazing in the role, and um, yeah, I love that actor. Yeah, he's great. You, you should you should definitely like make a point of watching it pretty soon because you would really really love it. I think. Interesting. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I won't talk about it because I hate spoiling things, <laughs> especially when. I oh, know, no, it's cool. But I mean, like you watching this movie is going to be the same thing as me rewatching watching this movie when i get your reaction to it you know what i mean cool. <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah um, Sweet. so what are some that you wanted to talk about well oh. i think 
in a general sense, I think one flew over the cuckoo's nest, as kind of we've already discussed, has allusions to ECT and the implication of that. In a broader sense, I think it was a great way of depicting the normal versus the abnormal. And I don't mean that in a pejorative or negative sense, but just people who are affected by certain psychiatric conditions and how they are viewed by people through the lens of normality or non uh, psychiatric conditions as in that like if I remember correctly Jack Nicholson's character was after having sex with a girl who was below the legal age and so he was either going to be sent to prison or he could plead basically insanity and go to a psychiatric hospital so he chose the latter in an attempt by him to get off kind of easier and so he'd have a lesser penalty or so he believed he wouldn't be in prison with all these uh, like rough violent guys he'd be as he thought maybe in a psychiatric hospital with these kind of strange people or weirdos Mm. But it actually kind of backfired on him and he found that this was actually harder to live in uh, as a normal, as a putatively normal person. And it eventually led to his demise after he couldn't be kind of controlled or contained in this establishment. And he just really couldn't succumb to the requirements imposed on him by, I think it was Nurse Ratchet, who was the horrible piece of work, who was kind of the uh, stick coming down on him every so often. But uh yeah, and, and just kind of, it, I think it very adequately depicted the range of psychiatric conditions that you might see in a psychiatric hospital and how certain people are affected differently and how real it is to the people experiencing them and how worthy they are of our sympathy. Uh, yeah. I thought it, it, it captured that very well. And, think... and how human they are. Like, I loved the part where they all empty the hospital and go out on the school bus and... And if if nothing else, they're human beings who want to live, who want to have fun, who want to do things, who want to, you know what I mean, enjoy life. And I thought that that was really brought home in that one scene where Jack Nicholson takes them out. And I thought it was a beautiful representation of a much maligned sector of society. I thought the scene where the blood comes out of the elevator was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, wait. uh, (laughs) But the... That that aspect of humanizing is really important because nowadays those people are used as a comedic plot device, or yeah, and it's horrible. Like the movie The Ringer with uh, Johnny Knoxville is it pretty much just makes fun of like okay. mentally disabled people, and and I, I, like. You know that movie, it's kind of a funny story. Have you seen that? Yeah, I really like that. Um, I really liked it too, but I thought that. Um, Zach Galifianakis's character was just such a cliche, like yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was a cliche Zach Galifianakis character, but also a cliche like mentally ill kind of character who yeah, he not busy being born is busy dying. Yeah, Bob Dylan, yo, never heard of him. <laughs> Robert oh, Zimmerman. Oh, you mean great, great literature um, man? The <laughs> Nobel Prize winner? That's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> but I said great literature man. man. <laughs> the worst superhero of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard the book is good, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I read the book, actually, of that. I found the movie better. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't really like the book. I thought it was... I just didn't think that it was de- depicted as well. Yeah, but uh, I, I watch the movie first, and that often uh, determines which you prefer. Sadly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's true. Uh, th- yeah, pretty much most examples. <clears throat> um, yeah. One thing that I, yeah, I remember reading The Dead Zone by Stephen King after I watched it, and I actually preferred the book. Yeah, I read the book of The Road after I saw the movie, the Cormac McCarthy book. 
Yeah. And I thought the book was better. But I thought the movie was phenomenal, too. And Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a, a movie... I was going to talk about Memento, but also just Fight Club. Um, yeah. And its depiction of um, uh, disassociative personality disorder. Obviously, it's a completely false uh, depiction of it. But as a movie, I think it stands up in terms of the directorial techniques that were used by David Fincher in it. There are so many instances of like really innovative use of cinematography that you see nowadays in almost everything but he sort of pioneered that like there's a scene that I always talk about near the very start where his pottery barn catalog his room basically turns into a pottery barn catalog and it shows his table and then it comes up like it would in a slideshow or something and it describes the table and mm. how much it is it's really really neat and it's echoed that that technique has just echoed through a lot of david fincher stuff it's something he does very effectively um yeah he, he directed two episodes of house of cards and whenever uh kevin spacey's character gets a text message on the uh, on his phone it comes up on the screen out of the phone in the same font as a text message and it's just so simple so clever and yeah david fincher's the man but the the movie fight club is I think it's become a mantra for people who like to act like dickheads and, you know, say, well, you're not your fucking khakis. Uh, you're the all-singing, all-dancing crap of the world and all. But I still think it's a great movie in its own right. I just think the performances are brilliant. The plot yeah. comes together so nicely and so, like, Fincher-esque. Um, yeah. It's great. Like, I do think it's a great book. I do think it's a great movie. But I think the concept of the messages behind the book are sort of fallacies or they're sort of bullshit and it's very 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 pretentious like yeah really yeah. pretentious but as every chuck palaniuk fan will tell you that's also the point so that's the get out of jail clause for <laughs> a lot of yeah. uh, chuck palaniuk fans but he he wrote a book called choke which is actually about a guy who um is a sex addict he suffers from sex addiction and he okay. goes to um you know, like AA, not AA meetings, but sex group meetings just to pick up girls. And mm. the book is brilliant. It's genuinely like one of my favorite books. And there's all sorts of different um, personality disorders in that book. There's one woman who thinks that like she has to, that robots are telling her something and she has to plan for the robot apocalypse. And then the main character in it, I, I don't remember his name. I, th I think it's Vince. Um, he thinks that his no sorry his mum thinks that he's actually the son of god or he's jesus reincarnated or something like that yeah yeah um, but it's a it's a really good book um it i don't know there's something about it that was very captivating for me it was made into yeah. a movie where sam rockwell played the main guy and sam rockwell is one of the greatest actors like i absolutely love him but the movie was garbage unfortunately so oh. yeah that's one of the sad things but um yeah fight club it it holds up, I think, even if you're not on board with its message. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's just a fantastic thing to behold. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's it's so extravagant and wild and sort of chaotic. It's yeah. It's great. Yeah, check yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So should we talk about Shutter Island? Yeah. Sure. Um. You might remember it a bit more than me, but... I, I saw it in the cinema, and I am a huge Scorsese fan. 
Um, yeah. I think he is the actual greatest. Yeah, yeah. And Shutter Island didn't do it for me. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought there were a few really weird things about it. The soundtrack was really overbearing. It's a great soundtrack, but it was used, like, way too much or something like that. Um, okay. It felt like it wasn't, like, they didn't cut it or edit it properly in time or something like that. I found that okay. really off-putting, but... Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, the movie itself, like, it is really good, but it, it just, I don't know, I was sort of left with a sort of a meh. I think it's a it's a play-on-your-mind sort of movie. Well, that's what it did for me. I remember after it, I was kind of like, yeah, like, I was basically just taking it on the terms of which I saw it. I was like, yeah, it was interesting, blah, blah, blah. But the more I thought about it, the more it kind of affected me, and the, the more I felt that the initial viewing didn't do it justice. That could just be me. Maybe I need to rewatch it then, because I saw it in the cinema, and I think that is the best place to see a movie, but it's not necessarily the best place to think about or analyze yeah. it. Yeah. Like, for instance, the impression I got was that the entire movie perfectly captured the confusion, the th- like the thrill, the thriller, I guess, of mental turmoil. And the twist at the end was unreal. Like, it was just, it was amazing. And also, DiCaprio's character's realization of what he'd done in the last scene and his acceptance of it, yet his ability to act upon it, I thought was brilliant. That was one of my favorite things. Yeah. Like, when he started just going straight back into the character that he was playing, I laughed so hard. It was brilliant. Like, you're not supposed to laugh at it, but it was just such a. Uh, it's such a fitting end, I think, maybe. Like, yeah. Um, and then he kind of finished it by saying, like, would you prefer to live a monster or die an innocent man? Yeah. And that's why he had been cured, but his cure was that he wasn't able, or his cure led him to not be able to live with himself knowing what he knew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just thought that was fantastic. And... Like the whole movie had accomplished its goal of convincing him, yet sometimes we can't, we're not capable of accepting the truth or living alongside it. Yeah. And that's why we create these alternate realities where we live and prosper and are happy in this sort of para reality. Which basically sums up disassociative personality disorder. Yeah. Or sorry, exactly. disassociative identity disorder. Like that's yeah, what yeah. it is. That's why it is. It's because of trauma, like so severe that you, you're, you you can't deal with. Literally can't handle it. Yeah. So you become something else. Um, yeah. I, I, that movie, in that sense, is actually a really good, um, like adventurous sort of examination of how yeah. how your brain can turn against you. Like how. Yeah. Which is, like, mind-blowing to think about. And that's kind of why, I guess, my take-home message for this is what is real is always subjective, and all that changes is the amount of people who agree with you. And there is a good to strong chance that you were in a straitjacket shouting this all into a mirror right now. (laughs) Of course, of course. Which is one of my favourite things anyone has ever said, so... (laughs) But I think... I hope our listeners have paused to think about the fact that everything they know and understand about their world is a lie. 
And if that seems terrifying to you, good. Our job is done. <laughs> yep. Peace and love to everybody. Fucking hell. That was a long one. That was phenomenal though, wasn't it? Yeah, that was really good. It was like genuinely like the best episode. Hands down. Savage. Yeah.